You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 81, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Well, folks, as gardeners and lovers of the great outdoors, we place ourselves at risk on a daily basis. Uh, there's a whole host of pests out there, but um, at least in this part of the world, few inspire more revulsion than the tick, especially the black-legged tick and a carrier of Lyme disease and other um, tick-borne diseases. Uh, but luckily for us here today on the Maritime Gardening Podcast, we have Dr. Vet Lloyd. Uh, Dr. Vet Lloyd is a professor of biology at Mount Allison University working on ticks and the pathogens they transmit. Dr. Lloyd is the co-founder of the Canadian Lyme Science Alliance, an organization that aims to unite scientists, clinicians, and patients in the quest for a more com comprehensive understanding of Lyme borreliosis. She is also the founder of a founding member of the Mount Allison Lyme Disease Network, an interdisciplinary network of researchers tackling the biological, social, and human dimensions of Lyme disease and incorporating the Lyme patient community as full partners in this endeavor. She has a special interest in encouraging citizen science in tick surveillance activities as a way to help tick-proof communities. So uh, with no further ado, Vet Lloyd, how are you? Pretty good. How are you now? Oh, I'm all right. Uh, Dr. Vet Lloyd and, us, and I are going to talk about uh, ticks and Lyme disease today. And uh, can I call you Vet? Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. Uh, vet, uh, also, a uh, you're an avid gardener? I am most certainly an avid gardener. Today is a bit too wet and cold to be outside, but otherwise, yes, I'd be out trying to will my tulips out of the ground. <laughs> I, I often do a thing when I talk to other gardeners on the show where I say, you know, I, I get a sense of how things are going. How are things going for you? Uh, do, you, do, you do, do you grow vegetables as well? Yeah. Uh, I try to cover a fair bit of what I eat. Um, but we had snow yesterday, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit early in the season yet. Where, uh, Mount Allison, is that in Sackville, New Brunswick? It is, yes. So we're about eight kilometers north of the Nova Scotia-New Brunswick border. So you, a vet would be about a three-hour, give or take, uh, I think, or maybe even a little bit further. Moncton's about three hours from me. Yeah, so we're uh, about two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Of Halifax. Yes. Uh, so, and in terms of, like, what's up, what's, you know, how high are your tulips right now? Um. Well, they're... About two to three inches, and then my chickens got into the garden, so uh, they're looking a bit sad right now. But yeah, oh, they're they, coming they, along. Chickens attack tulips. Yes, chickens oh. attack everything. They're they're <laughs> wonderful. I have them to eat ticks. They do a good job on the ticks. They're rough on a garden. I had actually this is a bit off topic and a bit early, but I had someone ask about guinea guinea fowl yes. as a as a tick mitigator. Uh, have you read anything about that? Um, I've certainly talked to a number of people who have guinea fowl, who breed guinea fowl, and they say it works very well. Uh, all the ground-dwelling birds are actually very good for eating ticks. I don't know if guinea fowl are better or worse than, say, bantam chickens, um, right. but one day I'll find out. I was I was skeptical of, of how they would be able to find the really tiny ticks. I mean, not that they can't see them, it's just that it would be easier for a tick like that to hide. Um, yes, on the other hand, eyesight. for every adult tick they eat, uh, that's a female will lay two to five thousand eggs. So 
Uh-huh. For every adult, that's two to 5,000 more ticks you don't have to worry about next year. It's a fantastic economy of scale. <laughs> <laughs> there, just to truly revolt your listeners, yes. let's start off with the image of crawling ticks out of every pore and granule of soil. Yes. Well, and the notion of turning ticks into eggs is almost appetizing. Um, so <laughs> so uh, we got a number of topics to work through here. Um, okay. And uh, I should just uh, tell people, like, I don't think a lot of uh, people out there in the, in the real world or the, the sort of, uh, I don't know what to call that. The, I had a professor once that, that called the world people to live in isn't, that isn't a university, the life world. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate. Um, so vet, Dr. Vet Lloyd has a PhD in biology. I don't think a lot of people appreciate really what it takes to uh, get to a stage of, uh, to get to that stage in an education. Um, a lot of people get a, a bachelor's degree, whether it's in science or whatever. So Vet Lloyd probably got a, a BSc at some yep. university somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then, then after you finish that, a lot of people anyway, they have to get a master's degree, which is usually two years. And you have to take a yep. bunch of courses and write a, a master's thesis, which is original research, although it's usually original research light at the master's level. And then to get a PhD, you spend four more years in university, um, basically mastering uh, that's the subject matter in your area, becoming a, a content expert in at least two, at least when I was in a PhD program, you had to do comprehensive exams, which is like, you know, the simplest way to explain it is a, a group of experts in a particular area hand you 50 books and they say, go read all this stuff and uh, come back in six months and we'll ask you some questions about this stuff. And then you can stand in front of us and defend your answers about that stuff. And uh, if your answers aren't good, you're out. Um, so, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. Um, that's called, the, and you have to do two of those, and that you sort of become that's your your teachables at a, certainly at a graduate level. And then after you've done all of that, you have to. You, they give you about two years to do an original piece of research. You have to answer some question that no one's ever answered before in the history of the world. Um, was that your experience, Vet? Uh, some, something like that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, The only twist in my case was that the whole four years for the PhD thing, I was actually enjoying myself. So um, when they (laughs) kept suggesting, well, you could graduate now, I want to do another experiment. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting world. If you care passionately about learning new things, it's actually a wonderful place to be. Uh, if you want to avoid the real world and gainful employment, it's not bad either. I'm being flippant, obviously, but, um, it's a, it's a way to contribute to the world and it's really quite magical. You are are allowed to be as creative as an artist, but, uh, at least in sciences, you tend to be paid a bit better. So it all works. I love the, uh, when I was in that world, the, the, the the freedom, uh, the academic freedom, I also love teaching. I love uh, engaging with students and just being a part of, of their, just opening their eyes to yeah. things and, and being a part of that learning process. It was intoxicating. Yeah, yeah that, that's important. Uh, the other thing people forget about universities, though, it's the one aspect uh, where you can have research that's not controlled by industry and not controlled by the government. So that independence is really important. That's true. I mean, you can... You can write a paper about whatever you want. Yes, um, you possibly know, and criticizing the government, 
and yes. don't get fired, which is kind of nice. That's right, and, and many academics uh, uh, take on that role, and it's 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 wonderful to see um, because yeah, they 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 sort they have that that ability uh, that that right, but also that privilege to be able to, to do that sort of thing. So it's uh, yeah, it's just I mean you're you're going to get paid regardless, so you can just go wherever your curiosity takes you. Um, within limits, yes. Within, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get to our question. I just want to give people a sense of that because I don't think a lot of people don't really under. I mean, people have a doctor that they go see a general practitioner, and and not everyone really understands what a doctor is. Um, so I hope not insulting anyone out there, but uh, just an academic professor, it's a different sort of thing. A PhD is a, a philosophical dissertation in a sense. Um, so, um, number one, first question. We got a number of things we wanted to. Uh, uh, see what uh, Dr. Vet Lloyd had to say about these things. So number one was just the the growth of the tick population. We're going to speak. I'm going to speak here to the North American context because I assume that's where your content area. And if you if you're aware of dynamics outside of that context, please uh, feel free to speak about it. But we're going to talk about the tick population in, in U.S., uh, Canada, and, and here in the Maritimes. Uh, to whatever extent you're aware of the development of that population, what can you say say to that? Um, well, there are more ticks and they're spread more widely. So the tick population and mostly the we worry most about the ticks that carry pathogens there that are affect humans. There are a number of ticks that are very species specific and they usually only feed on wildlife. We tend to largely ignore them. Uh, say the ticks, if you find rabbits and their ears are just crawling with ticks, they carry pathogens too, but those ticks are not likely to bite a human. It's quite rare. So for the most part, we ignore those. So the well, it's funny. I see those. Ra I, I see they have a lot of rabbits around my garden. Yeah. And I see them some mornings when I'm out there, like early in the morning, and I've seen those ticks all over their ears and their face. Yeah. Yes. So those ones wouldn't uh, grab a human. No, they're they they will occasionally, but they're not particularly fond of humans. Of course, huh. they can take enough blood out of a rabbit to give it anemia. Um, wow. So it's not great for the rabbit, but. Uh, for the most part, the ticks we worry about are the black-legged tick, because that's transmitting Lyme disease, and the lone star tick, uh, that transmits a bunch of different diseases, um, and to some extent, the American dog tick or wood tick, which transmits different infections. So we worry about the ones that affect human health. Do we have the lone star tick in Canada? Uh, it is dropped off periodically when it uh, grabs a bird and the bird is migrating up here and then it'll drop off. We also, um, one of the things that is really a problem for epidemiologists, the people who are tracking the spread of diseases, is that people don't stay put. It's really quite irritating. We go on vacations and things like that. And sometimes people take their dogs with them. Uh, <laughs> we also ship large numbers of livestock around the world. So all of those are ways for to move ticks and other parasites around the world. So we are getting the odd Lone Star tick up here. It's probably only a matter of time till it establishes. Um, so the black-legged tick was initially 
uh, brought in the same way on migratory birds or migratory people or pets. As the climate moderates, uh, they're not dying off in the winter. They're grabbing, we have lots of mice and wildlife for them to feed on. You get more and more ticks, they have more and more babies, and we end up with our own local tick population spreading disease. Can I, can I ask a question? So, I mean, I'm an avid angler, and uh, I used to live uh, in a part of Nova Scotia called The Valley, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit warmer. I, I live now near, closer to Peggy's Cove, and, uh, which is more on the eastern shore, and it's more sort of bleak and cold and, and dreary sort of thing. You know, the valley's warm and nice, and um, even the word valley sounds nice. Um, so uh, anyway, the, the valley is very ticky compared to here. They're yes. traditionally a much more ticky place, yes. and the, t the ticks were there before they were here. Yeah. Um, so, but during all of that time, if I went down to the Bay of Fundy, so I was at Avalid, uh, surf angler. You go down to the shore with a big long rod and you try to catch uh, striped bass in mm -hmm. the ocean. In, in, and you'd walk through all kinds of tall grass. Normally tall grass is tick land. But when you were by the coast in that area, you'd never, ever get ticks. You'd walk down railroads with grass everywhere uh, or you'd walk uh, near a tidal river with grass mm -hmm. up to your waist. And never a tick, never a tick. Why would ticks not uh, be able to? Why and, and deer walk through those areas sometimes yep. too. I, and I was always mystified at why I wasn't getting ticks in the because because anywhere else, if you went up like if you were in a freshwater river on a lake or something yeah. like that, there's ticks everywhere. So ticks, they like the one thing that will kill them, other than complete nuclear Armageddon, is drying out. They're very sensitive to desiccation. Oh. And right by the salt water, whether it's the Bay of Fundy or your coast, there's more salt and they do not like that and that will kill them. The grass right by, they say in the salt marshes or as you walk closer to any of the shores, you've got a different type of grass. It's much harsher and it won't keep the moisture in. Oh. So that's why you're going to find the ticks in more forested land or freshwater streams. Stuff where there's leaf litter, when it gets really hot, they can crawl down into the leaf litter and stay nice and moist. And what about a winter? So I can't speak to the entire province, but and we don't always have winters like this. But in this particular year where I am, uh, we didn't get any snow stay on the ground until March. It, mm. um, and it doesn't always work that way, but it was just a, because we're it's fairly very close to the coast here. And we, we get snow and that would rain. So yeah. the, the ground was bare all winter long, but it might get down to minus 20 some nights. So we had really cold, but no snow. Would that knock back a tick population or are they fine in the leaves and piles uh, and stuff? Yeah, well, the thing is the leaves are actually really good insulation. So even though the air is minus 20, you stick your finger down uh, into the ground, it takes a lot for the ground to freeze. Mm -hmm. The other thing is adult ticks, they'll probably be okay into the minus teens. Their eggs can survive to minus 30. So wow! if you get a really cold snap several days in a row of minus 30, you're going to kill off some of the adults, even in the leaf litter, but their eggs are just going to be hunky-dory. Oh, and you mean minus 30 Celsius? Yeah. So that is not promising at all. 
Yeah, you kill one tick, but the the two thousand babies live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, two to five thousand. Well, I was, I was, I was like, is is a bad day for that mother? Because uh, we usually when we have winters like this, it's it's bad for your garden because the ground freezes so yes. deep when there's no snow on it. So I think, well, at least it's knocked the tick population back. No, didn't do nothing. <laughs> killed a couple yeah, parents. Just killed. Yeah, just just killed off all the bulbs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. All right, so you know, certainly the tick population is is on the uh, on the increase. And how are we looking uh, in the Maritimes relative to other parts of Canada? Is it um, well, unfortunately, the ticks to have ticks, you need a few things. Uh, you need the right climate, which we have, and you need the right vegetation to support lots of wildlife. And they like deer and they like mice. Um, they feed from mice when they're small and tiny and deer when they're bigger. Um, so in the Maritimes, we've got the perfect habitat for a really varied wildlife population. And we've got lots of deer, lots of damp forests. So uh, we do well. Uh, Nova Scotia actually <laughs> leads Canada in the number of Lyme disease cases um, and the most rapid rise in Lyme disease cases. However, pretty much all of southern Canada is now affected by having tick populations move in, establish, and increase. Oh, well, it's still good to be number one. Uh, Absolutely. To, Congratulations. Nice, nice to be good at something. Brunswick isn't. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'd rather be the bridesmaid than the bride in this, occasion, in this uh, context. Yes. Um, so what about uh, the different kinds of tick-borne diseases that exist? It's not just Lyme disease. Can you sort of run us through these various different kinds okay. and the kinds of ticks that they tend to be carried by? Okay, so Lyme disease is the one that gets the most attention. Uh, that's for two reasons. One is that it's the most common of the tick-borne diseases. The other is that the bacteria that causes it um, is in, in many through a number of means suppresses the immune system. So if a tick, they're basically walking bags of pathogens. So they don't just carry one bacteria in them. They carry many different kinds. If you get bitten by a tick that's got a bunch of different pathogens, but not the Lyme disease bacteria, you may be able to fight it off. If you get the Lyme disease bacteria, which is called Borrelia by science types, but Lyme disease works too. Um, plus another bacteria, then that other bacteria can establish and you have a double infection and you're that much more ill. So Yeesh. we've got Lyme disease that gets all the attention. Uh, we have some other ones. There's anaplasma, which um, affects red blood cells and your vascular system. The rickettsial diseases that give you intense fever and your your blood system, your blood doesn't stay in your blood vessels, so you sort of start leaking. Uh, that's unfortunate. That's bad. Uh, yes. Uh, we have another number of protozoan parasites, which they're sort of related to the malaria parasite, so it causes high fever, uh, quite difficult to get rid of. 
And then we've got the viruses, probably the best known of them is the Poisson virus or deer tick encephalitis virus, which is a close relative. Uh, they cause encephalitis, which is really not uh, encouraging. Is that the same encephalitis that the like ticks in like Russia and Europe? Uh, I know that they, they have a like woods woods yes. people there take a vaccine yep. to to prevent that. Yeah, um, it's related to that one. Yes, I see. That's horrible. Yeah, yep. I didn't know we. I didn't know. I thought we didn't have that. Was I thought that was the silver lining here? Uh, we have we have a relative of that. That's well, great. We get the full full meal deal in the tick. Yeah, and and which uh, so. In terms of the Lone Star tick, the the, the dog tick, and the black legged tick, um, is there anyone that carries all of those things, or what? No, they they the black legged tick carries most of them. The Lone Star tick uh, is fairly similar. It's a bit worrying as ticks go because it's the most active and most aggressive of the ticks. Uh, most of the ticks will. They, they find their meal, their host, uh, by clinging with their back legs to a blade of grass or a shrub and just waiting till you brush by it. Um, so it, it's kind of a lethargic way of finding a host. But the Lone Star Ticks will actually chase their host, so they'll come and find you. How do they do uh, that? Well, they smell... I mean, smell like, you're, you're, what was that, a bucolic acid or some? Some... Uh, well, carbon dioxide and, and all the volatiles that are part of uh, the odor we uh, exude. So they'll find basically if you're breathing, you're producing carbon dioxide, you're making you smell, particularly to a tick. They've got a very acute sense of smell and they'll walk towards you. Oh, my. So I'm sitting on a little blanket with my girlfriend and we're having a picnic in a park. And there's a, a Lone Star tick 20 feet away, and it gets a whiff of me, and it starts making its way over? Yeah. Now, they don't oh. go that far, but, uh, uh, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Whereas the other ones, you'd have to touch it. You're, you're, yes. you're, you're yeah. walking down a trail, and there's, as, as an angler, it's, it's basically, if you're going through grass, you got to check your calves and your knees over and over and over again. Yes. Um, and there's places where I've gone through where just to get to a river, you might pick 50 ticks off on your way there. And then you don't go fishing there again, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, uh, there is that. The thing is, ticks are seasonal, so you might have a whole bunch of ticks on you one time. You go back a month later, and it's okay. The other thing is, it's. I think if you're outdoors a lot, uh, you can figure out pretty quickly the difference between the dog ticks, which are not too bad, or the wood ticks. They're the bigger ones, and they've got a little. They've got some white stuff on their back, so they're quite decorative as a tick goes. They're not as bad as the black-legged ticks. I was. I mean, I went to the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, I believe. The last time I went to check to see the difference, last time I had a tick on me, yep. they got a picture of each tick and they looked the same. How do you tell the, the black-legged tick from the uh, dog tick from the Lone Star tick? Um, well, you stare Maybe at if, if you could send me some pictures uh, yeah, totally. before, before Saturday, I can, I can put them in the show notes. I think that would sure. be awesome. Yeah, some good, yeah. good, good images. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay, but just to describe so people can... Yeah, to you know. describe them, 
Uh, the dog tick, if you stare down on it, it's on its back. Uh, it'll either have black back with white markings that are over the entire back, or a small area called the scutum, which is Latin for shield, because scientists like being pompous and speaking in Latin. Um, <laughs> and there are little white markings on that. Right. If there are white markings on it, that means that you're looking at a, in this area, you're looking at a American dog tick or wood tick, no matter, depends what you call it. Same thing. That's the most benign of the ticks, even though. Yes, if you have to such... have a tick on you, that's the one you'd want. Right. Mind you, if you find a tick on you and remove it, that's really much better. And if it's not feeding from you, you don't actually have to worry what kind it was. Mm-hmm. And what about the black-legged tick? How is it uh, distinguished from the American dog tick? Um, when it hasn't fed, its body is kind of brownie-orange, and it's got a little black dot on its back. Oh. Uh, but no white markings. It's a bit oh. smaller. Once it feeds, it turns big and blobby and gray, and it looks like a particularly ugly mole and one with legs. Right. So basically, any freckle or mole you have with legs, that's a bad thing. Right. Yes. Yeah, and they can be very small. Um, they can, unfortunately. Uh, the, is it just that one that, that, that latches on to these various stages in its life cycle, or do, do all of them do that? No, they all do that. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, so uh, what about... Uh, Oh, the one, one other question. In, in terms of uh, tick-borne diseases, especially Lyme disease, is it the case that, I mean, like a lot of diseases, there's always like any plague, let's say a plague whips itself through Europe in the Middle Ages, and 30% of the population dies, and then a, a portion of the population can just take it. Um, is there, do human beings have the capacity to not be affected? Is there, is there a small proportion of the population that can take Lyme disease or take some of these things or is it, um, is, it, is, it is it like anthrax where there's no one that can take it yeah. that, that's a really good question and the answer is we don't know Right. Um, in terms of ticks we know that some people are tick magnets and some people are not attractive to ticks we're hmm. trying to figure out what that is unfortunately I'm a tick magnet um, <laughs> with Lyme disease itself there is certainly, depending on your genetics, the strength of your immune system, there is a difference in how quickly you respond to it and how severely you respond to it. There's certainly a thought that there are people who can tolerate it for a while, whether or not they'll be okay all their life or it's right. just waiting for them to get a bit older and then it hits them. Yes. That's hard to say. Right. Yeah, Which yeah, yeah. With dogs and cats, many the majority of animals can deal with the infection, but we're not dogs and cats. So most humans do get sick. It may be sooner. It may be later. I see. Right. So I just, I, I know people are going to say, well, I just, I eat beets and I'm going to be invincible and take it. Um, so I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's the case. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so the next topic here is uh, many people, um, uh, the uh, incidence of tick-borne diseases, to what extent, how is that, especially let's speak to Lyme disease to start, I guess. Yeah. Um, how is that 
progressing in the Canadian population and North American population? It's going up. It's going up. <laughs> so there are more ticks. There are more people getting bitten by ticks because you can do all the prevention you want, but uh, it doesn't always work. Um, so there are more and more people getting ill. There's certainly a debate about how many people are affected. Uh, the official stats are roughly a thousand Canadians a year, which doesn't sound that good. Um, working with the medical doctor, I did a study that showed that that was sort of 10 to 30 fold under under detected. So that would make it 10 to 30,000 getting infected every year. Right, which is like 1% of the population. It could be the upper end of yeah. that is 1% of the population. Yeah. So that, and that adds up because if you're not getting diagnosed, uh, presumably you're not getting treated. If you're not getting treated, you're not going to be getting better. Uh, yeah. So the number of sick people are going to be increasing and it sort of adds to the societal burden of people with these chronic illnesses, in many cases undiagnosed uh, the cause of the illness is not clear. No, and I can just imagine, I mean, like, you're an academic, and I'm not saying I, academia isn't hard work, but if you were a, a carpenter or a drywaller or yeah. you were a nurse had to work on your feet all day or something like that, yeah. like, uh, I, I don't I, yeah. I don't know, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, symptoms and, and what Lyme disease is like in a minute, but, um, yeah, I would imagine that the more physical your, your livelihood is, the more difficult yes. it would be to keep that job suffering Absolutely. from that disease. Yeah. Uh, when I had it, even as a professor, as you say, it's not an intensely physical activity, but I was barely able to work just because walking from one building to another was tough. Uh, focusing was tough. Uh, I had Bell's palsy. Half my face was frozen. So talking was a challenge. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, so let's let's move on to that because the next topic, actually, we're going to... For those that don't know, uh, aside from being a, a researcher who studies uh, ticks and Lyme disease, uh, Vet Lloyd is actually a, a, a person who has or has been diagnosed with and treated for or is being treated for Lyme disease. And just to segue that, I had a, an, a, a, a question or a comment uh, from one of my viewers. I, I prepped this show uh, recently on a little video I did, and I asked people if they wanted to share anything. So uh, I had a message here from uh, Eden Elder on YouTube, and he said that uh, you never, I'd never seen a tick before in my life until five years ago when I worked as a gardener for a campground um, in eastern Ontario and got the first of over 10 tick bites accumulate over the next couple of years. So 10 tick bites accumulate over a, a couple of years. Uh, he, he says, uh, I never even saw the first one. The doctor said I was probably bitten by a tick in a nymph stage of life and it dropped off immediately. He says, uh, I just saw the telltale bullseye rash on my upper uh, arm and even then didn't know what it meant until someone else told me. I went to the emergency department at the local hospital and was put on five days prednisone. Mm. I was on prednisone once. Uh, that's an amazing steroid. Um, and was apparently cured, even though I spent the rest of the summer with low, um, low energy and achy joints. He says, I went back the next year when I was bitten again and was told there was no sign of Lyme disease in my blood, even though I had the bullseye rash the previous year. I would appreciate if you would ask your guest how someone can get the bullseye rash and not have Lyme disease. 
he says the doctor at the hospital readily admitted that the medical community doesn't really know a lot about Lyme disease yet. I don't know when. He doesn't give a year when this happened. Um, he says, since that first bite, I've been bitten 10 or 12 more times. And every time I've had a, I have a hard bump where I was bitten, which can take as long as a year and a half before it's gone. So that's that's his sort of story. Um, perhaps uh, you can either speak to that story or just tell us how this happened for you. Um, yeah, so there's certainly there's as it's becoming more common, you can. When I started doing this work, I, I'd give talks in the community and I'd ask for a show of hands how many people know someone with Lyme disease. And it'd be, say, one person out of 30, 50, something like that. Now when I do it, it's pretty much half the room sticks up their hands. So it'll be someone in their family, someone in their community. Yeah, and, I, have a, I have a friend with Lyme disease. Yeah, so ev everyone has their own story. Um it's in terms of the bullseye rash, that's the body responding to the bacteria. So it's not a sign that you might get the disease. It's that the the bacteria is in your body at that very instant. And your body's trying to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so at that point, the guidelines indicate that at that point, someone should be treated. You don't need any other testing. If you've got a bullseye rash, you should be treated. There's a lot of d dispute about how long you should be treated um, and with what. Usually the treatment is antibiotics, um, and certainly you probably need a doctor on to discuss the pros and cons of which antibiotic and for how long. Um, the idea is that if you treat early on, you're going to get rid of the bacteria right away. Once the bacteria, if you don't catch it, and the problem is not everyone does get a bullseye rash, not everyone gets a rash at all. Uh, people differ in how rashy they tend to be. So you could you could just be a person, you go camping and, and everything's yep. fine, and, and then one day you just start feeling kind of lousy. Yeah, and that's exactly the problem. If you haven't found the tick, if you don't make a good rash, then you've just got weird symptoms and it's really tough to figure out what's going on. Then we get into the problem with the blood tests. So one of the things that if you're seeking medical attention, which is not a bad idea when you're ill, at some point you may have a Lyme disease blood test done on you. Um, and if you get a positive on that, that's great. That means that there's a direction for your healthcare provider to go. But a negative doesn't exclude Lyme disease. And again, there's a lot of discussion about how, how good the test is, but certainly it doesn't detect every case. And I, it I'm, doesn't detect more, yeah, doesn't detect quite a few cases. I remember asking my doctor about, I mean, every time I have a tick, I'll, I'll, if I can, I get it off and I put it in a, in a bag and I bring it in. Is, is, is the best way to, to test for Lyme disease to test the tick? Can they, can um, they... Yes, it is, actually. Uh, that is the fastest and most effective. The, what that doesn't tell you is whether or not it transmitted the disease to you. To you, right. But right. if you know the tick had it or if you know the tick doesn't have it, that narrows down a lot of the things that could be wrong with the person. 
that's not currently the healthcare policy, and the reason for that is relate. It's a public health decision that there's no tick testing in Nova Scotia. The national tick testing is largely overwhelmed, so they can't test ticks quickly enough to be clinically useful. Right. However, there are ways around that. Uh, I'll. My lab tests ticks. We're supposed to do just New Brunswick, but you know Nova Scotia is close enough. Um, there's commercial testing, and there are also tick test kits you can get from the drugstore that give you a result in I think 20 minutes. Are you serious? Yeah. Why in the holy hell can't the, the healthcare system here <laughs> provide something like it? It just it uh, you know like I just I do not understand from a public health point of view. Yeah, uh, you you would think that with a focus on prevention, that that would be a really good place that re, uh, resources could be placed in, in terms of let's find out what the risk is. You can, and the risk then depends on how long the tick fed, but that too can be estimated just by looking at it, whether it's flat or if it's round. Yes. If it's round, it's been feeding for a long time. So then you can assume it's had time to transmit. That's not super precise. It can be made more precise, but it's a good approximation. Could we talk possibly about um, why it is the case that it's so difficult to detect? So let's say I've, I've been bitten by a tick and uh, I got a tick on me and I take it off. And let's say I'm, I'm camping and I've had a few beers, so I just throw it in the fireplace, which I have done before um, <laughs> in exactly that context. So then I go back and I'm like, why did I do that? I should have saved the tick. So I tell my doctor, hey, I've been bit by a tick. Um, and uh, what do they do? They take a vial of my blood or, you know, mm -hmm. like what what happens? And and why is it the case that it's difficult to know? Um, it, it may be the case that they do a test and they say, yes, you have Lyme disease. But it may be the case that they say, we, we don't know if you do. It doesn't seem that you do, but it may be that you still do. Why is it the case that that, that sort of uh, result is 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 uh, is possible. Um, the, so the problem with any test is that some of the times it works perfectly and other times you get a false positive. So the test comes back saying yes, but you really don't have the, whatever the test is testing for. And other times there's a false negative. Is the test and like detecting the that bacteria or is it detecting my body responding to it's, it? It's it's detecting your body responding to it. Oh that particular text. So that test. So that's a large part of the problem. Um if you're a healthy person, you mount you make a lot of antibodies to the bacteria and the test can detect that. Now if you're not healthy or if you're on certain medications that suppress your immune system, that's not going to happen. Yes. The other problem is if you get bitten by a tick that has a slightly different bacteria in it, it'll still make you sick in the same way, but the test doesn't look for that response to that type of bacteria, it looks for a response to a different type of bacteria, and you don't have antibodies against that type because that was what not what was in the tick that bit you. Right. So there are lots of ways you can get a false negative. With this test, it's optimized to almost never give false positives, although there's, there will always be some. Yeah, it's always confidence interval sort of thing. Yeah, but that's done at the 
the expense of sensitivity. So you will get some, you will get false negatives. Right. Um, in terms of, so let's say I've, I've been diagnosed. It, I, I go to the doctor, they give me a test and say, Greg, you got it. So what is the course of treatment? Uh, the course of treatment. Typical, is, anyway. Here, like, we can only speak to what people do yeah. here. The Canadian, or whatever you know, like Canadian healthcare system. Although there really isn't a Canadian healthcare system. Every province in Canada has its own healthcare system. It follows guidelines that are set by the federal government, but every province has its own sort of unique. Uh, every province has its own health act. And so, if you live in Nova Scotia, it's a Nova Scotia healthcare system. If you, and you can have different. You know, there's there's different uh, options and different uh, funding levels yes. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. uh, just I know some people might say the Canadian healthcare system. There really isn't a Canadian healthcare system. Um, that's a misnomer. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, let's so just... so the guidelines for treatment uh, because it's a bacterial infection. Uh, treatment recommended are antibiotics um, with a number of choices depending on your age and what what works well for you um the duration of treatment uh is recommended by the guidelines there's certainly discussion about how long you need to be treated particularly if the disease has progressed and the bacteria is spread through your entire body um you may need to be treated again or for longer and you will there is probably Two areas of enormous controversy are exactly how well or how poorly does the test work and what is the best way to make a sick person better. Um, there are certainly doctors will feel feel very strongly about that, which is good. That's what they should be worrying about. But there's a lot of controversy about how long you need to be treated for Lyme disease. What is... Um, so let's say... What's the optimal situation? So, you know, I, I go in my backyard, I come in my house, there's a tick on my body, and it's in me, and I, I go and I get it, you know, I get it checked. So within 24 hours, I know that a tick that has the Lyme disease bacteria in it was, was mingling its body juices with my blood. Um, <laughs> now so, that sounds so appetizing. I know. So what is the optimal you know, situation? Like, how long, what am I trying to say here? How long would I want to go before I, I got a, a cycle of antibiotics uh, going through me? Okay. So the first thing is that it takes a while for the Lyme disease bacteria to get into your body. How long a while is depends on you, the thickness of your skin, and whether that tick is hungry or had a snack previously, etc., uh, but you've, generally speaking, you're okay if you get it off you in the first 24 hours. Really? Um, Even if it's, it's, it's latched on? Yeah. Wow. But there are exceptions, and that's just for Lyme disease. It's not true for the viruses, though those can come in right much faster. Right. So the bottom line is the quicker you get a tick off you, the better. Because yes. really, you don't want to be playing Russian roulette with something sucking your blood. No. Um, so say the tick did feed long enough to inject Lyme disease in it. That would mean that the tick had Ly the Lyme disease bacteria and it fed long enough to get it into you. 
Um, the bacteria will initially be right where the tick fed. So if you get antibiotics quickly, the bacteria is very localized and they haven't had a chance to hide in bits of your area, bits, areas of your body where antibiotics can't find them. Uh, so the antibiotics will work better. So that's why early treatment is good. Oh, like you, you want the bacteria in your, your meat sort of thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know. So, well, so yeah, exactly. Uh, and where you don't want the bacteria would be somewhere like your brain yes. because a lot of antibiotics can't cross the blood brain barrier. And besides which you don't want a lot of bacteria in your brain. That's a bad place for bacteria to be. Right. Um, so the sooner you get it, the better. Uh, there's some uh, provinces administer uh, a single dose of antibiotic when you've had a tick bite. They don't bother doing anything else. It's here, you've got a tick, take, a, take one pill uh, and you're good to go. There isn't strong evidence that that actually works. Um, so other provinces will say... Take back, uh, take antibiotics for two weeks or three weeks. It right. depends. Like a hail mary, like whether you know, yeah, just we, you know, there's a tick. Take regardless of what it was, here's an antibiotic. Yeah. Just take it, which would be an ex uh, costly, I would imagine, depending on on the. Well, the, it's a uh, fairly inexpensive antibiotic, and preventing disease is always cheaper than. Uh, treating the disease once it's taken place. Absolutely. You just want to be sure that the prevention actually works. Right. Right. Um, so I guess that, that's a good segue to the next topic here in terms of uh, there's been various, in North America certainly, and, and ongoing various attempts to develop a, uh, a vaccine. I know there's a vaccine for the, uh, the tick-borne encephalitis in, in various parts of Europe. So if you're a a forestry worker or a, a you know a farm worker or something like that you you would you would take that vaccine to be to, to protect yourself against encephalitis mm -hmm. um, what is the state of vaccine development here for uh, tick-borne Lyme disease uh, so for encephalitis virus yes there's a standard vaccine for that in Europe uh, it's actually given out uh, not just outdoor workers, it's a routine childhood vaccination. Oh, really? Um, in in like, countries like Switzerland or Germany, just because contact with ticks is so frequent and encephalitis in a child can be life-threatening. So uh, that's, that's why that vaccine works. Because it's a so virus, that vaccine works quite well. That's right. And they would hand that out like a polio diphtheria like they do here uh yeah yeah for children yeah. yes yeah so it's part of your school shots right um a vaccine against lyme disease is going to be tougher and that's because a bacterial cell is is more complicated than a virus cell yeah it's not a virus <laughs> yes so it's, it's bigger and it's more complicated which makes making a vaccine trickier uh, there was a vaccine on the market from the United States, um, which was withdrawn, depending on uh, which version of events you choose to accept. And being Canadian, I'll say probably both are true to some extent. There was either no market for it or there was a concern with side effects. 
and people stopped taking it because they felt that getting the side effect, the effects of Lyme disease from the vaccine was not worth it. Um, people with dogs will know that there is a vaccine available for your dogs. Uh, for dogs, we've now moved from the first generation vaccine to third or fourth generation vaccines. So they're better vaccines, they're more effective. However, even with the vaccine for dogs, you need to vaccinate every year and it's not 100%. Right. So there is vaccine development happening both in Europe and in the United States for Lyme disease. It's, I very much hope it'll be a better vaccine than the original and that they've got a handle on the side effects. Um, there was certainly biological cause to be concerned with the original vaccine. Right. Yeah, I can only hope. I mean, I, I'm a, I love, I'm, I'm on the verge, and we'll talk about this as we go along here. But I, aside from being in my garden all the time, I'm, I'm about to take. I've gotten taken a couple, taking some time off work, and I go on, I'm going to go in the woods by myself for a week. Um. So, yeah, like when I go in my garden and I come back in, I usually take off my clothes, take a shower, have a little look around. You know, I, I probably don't do as thorough a job as I should, but at least I've gone through that r sort of cleansing ritual. Uh, when, when you're in the woods, uh, you don't always, it's not like I'm going to jump in a freezing cold lake. I'd like to think I'm tough enough to do that, but I know I'm not. <laughs> um, I usually just sort of, you know, use a wet, uh, damp cloth. Uh, you know, it's not the same ritual at all. Um, yeah. And certainly uh, there's been times I've been camping where I've gone to bed, woken up in the morning <clears throat> and just been sort of laying there in my sleeping bag and felt something. And I noticed there's a tick on my arm. So a tick was in the sleeping bag with me all night. You know, it's, it's really well, it's uh, cozy. And you thought you were alone. Yes, <laughs> I guess I wasn't alone. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, certainly a vaccine will be useful. It's important to remember, though, that it's not going to be a magic bullet. There's not going to be a perfect solution. Yes. We're still going to have to be doing the full body checks. And you see people across the world where their ticks, they've just, the ticks are not going anywhere. So we have to learn to live with the ticks. And that means that you brush your teeth at night, you do a full body check. Um, if you can't, if your neck doesn't allow you to uh, look at your back, a mirror can be useful for that or just go by feel. Yes. I guess that takes us to you know, the prevention topic and maybe we can try to, I mean, like, I'm, you know, I'd love to go on the full s scope of that, but let's, let's talk about gardeners because we're out there, yep. we're, we're uh, kneeling, crouching, sitting, crawling. I mean, we're in there. We're in yep. like Flynn sort of thing. So, uh, you know, what, what can gardeners do to, to keep themselves as safe as possible where ticks are concerned? Aside from just, you know, spraying all of their lamb with uh, pyrethrin or some sort of toxin. <laughs> you know, aside from that, let's say, because not everyone wants to do that. Um, how do you, you know, how does one, you know, like aside from the regular thing of, stripping and using mirrors and smoke and mirrors sort of thing. Um, <laughs> smoke but... and mirrors. Yes, I like that. Uh, <laughs> that summarizes prevention. Um, so, yeah, every tick I've had on me has been from gardening. And yes, as you say, we're out, we're, maybe it says something about my garden, but yes, I'm, you know, usually waist deep in long shrubs and stuff. Um, so, yes, what can you do? There are a number of things you can do. Um, 
there are some natural tick repellents people like. Uh, some have been tested, some haven't. Uh, DEET-containing products are really good at keeping mosquitoes off. They're not as good at keeping ticks off. Really? But... Um, What's better there, than DEET? Uh, there is... I always spray my pants with like muscal. Muscal is the stuff we get in Canada yeah. that's got X percent, thirty percent, or something DEET. Yeah. Uh, so the more DEET you have, the better. But bear in mind that DEET is not great for you. Uh, <laughs> there is a compound uh, that is related to the hot compound in black peppers. Uh, the synthetic version of that is called icaridin. Uh, you can get that in Canadian Tire bug uh, sprays. Some of them say good against ticks. Uh, some haven't been licensed to make that claim, but if they have uh, Icaridin or Picaridin, something like that, uh, that's going to work well against ticks. So you've, have you done like experiments where you put this on a piece of paper and try yes. to get the ticks to go across it sort of thing? Yeah, so that has been well tested and that mm. actually outperforms everything else available. Really? Uh, for the natural products, eucalyptus oil works uh, quite well, but you have to keep it fresh, and it's, it needs to be strong enough to make your eyes water. So you, you choose which, which way you want to go. Uh, permethrin isn't uh, easily available in Canada. It hasn't been licensed, and, and that's the reason for that is that it's not a great chemical and contact with skin does raise the risk of cancer and it's toxic to cats and not great for children. What However, is, per, per, is permethrin a, like a derivative of pyrethrin or is it yes, a different? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So you could get the natural product, uh, which is quite uh, effective. The synthetic is more stable. The natural product breaks down, so it's much safer. Uh, however, if it's embedded in clothing, it's fairly stable. So I just, you know, I just bought a shirt for this fishing trip I'm taking mm -hmm. at Mark's Work Warehouse. I don't ah, want no, no, no plug for them. Up. Yes. But it's, uh, yeah, it's some sort of like shirt that's got some stuff in it. And uh, I just bought it because it had the pockets in the right place. It was outrageously <laughs> priced. I, it'll be a good experiment. And if it doesn't work yeah. well, I'm going to trash the hell of it on YouTube. But um, because I'm giving yeah. them a free plug right now for nothing. But, uh, yeah, I just so like the look of it, and it was the right color for detecting ticks. It was like this yes. light beige. Yeah. Um, so their product, the No Fly Zone product. Yeah, that's uh, exactly what it. It's they advertise that it rep will repel mosquitoes uh, because that's the claim they're allowed to make, but it's impregnated with permethrin, so it should repel ticks as well. Even though they're not, it's they're not in contact with it, but it's the smell of it. Is it a scent uh, thing? Well, I mean, ticks are not going to want to crawl on it. You can also get pants, which will be a much better yeah, way of stopping ticks from walking on you. I should have bought the Yeah, because they usually go up the pants and then from yes. there. Because they could go. My concern was they're going to go up the pants and under the shirt. Uh, and then, uh, Yeah, well, they'll probably what it means is they'll get to your shirt, think, oh, that smells disgusting, and then just go back down and find a nice cozy place in the bottom half of your body. Right, yeah. Maybe I should get the pants. But they're, geez, they're not cheap, those shirts. And they, he said you could only wash it eight times, or maybe it was 80 times. Uh, it's 80 times. 80 so times, right. I don't know how often you wash your clothes, but, you know, it'll last a while. <laughs> I looked wash. at them and figured, oh, well, that'll do me for a bit. <laughs> I guess 80 wash. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're only wearing it for, like, 
you know, certain kinds of things. Like for me, it would be going into the bush on a, yeah. or, you know, some serious uh, fishing sort of thing. Well, yeah, maybe I'll go buy the pants too. Why not? Um, so uh, there's something I'm going to try, and I thought I'd share this with gardeners, and, and they can, and this is also a way of shamelessly promoting a YouTube video that'll be coming up soon. But uh, tomorrow, I have the day off for the rest of the, I have the rest of the week off from work. And I have a dump truck coming, and it's going to dump eight cubic yards of sand in my backyard. And that's uh, the septic sand, which is more like uh, uh, the kind you'd use for a sandcastle. It's not loose. It's more sticks together when it's wet. Um, so it doesn't run away as much when it, it rains. And I'm going to take this sand and put it uh, in my garden. I don't have like a – I've got garden beds that are like four by eight, and then I've got walking paths between them. So all of the walking paths are going to get about three inches of this sand. I've, I've become very concerned about ticks, and I want my kids in my garden, and I want them to feel safe, <clears throat> and, I, and I want to feel safe. And I always thought I was okay in my garden because the, the, all the walking paths are wood chips. But yeah. then I learned that um, because you've got, I've got lots of different kinds of rodents in my garden, especially moles and voles, mm -hmm. and they're going to be dropping little baby ticks all over the place, and they're going to be in those wood chips. And, and I'm, I'm kneeling in that all the time or sitting in it. Um, so I'm certainly at risk with the wood chips. They weren't, you know, they weren't giving me the, the protection I thought they were giving me. I, I've never gotten a tick on me. My daughter had one tick on her. There's only one tick incident on my property so far. But this area was, when I bought this house, it was outside of that risk zone. Uh, now it's inside the risk zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to put sand uh, in all the areas where you kneel and sit and the sort of thing in my garden. And the beauty of the sand is it's kind of weed free. And I, I don't think ticks are going to want to be in sand because it's dry. Right? Yes. So, I think that's a great idea. And if you throw some rock salt around there, that'll really annoy them. Go. And the only drawback with the sand is that it's heavy, but I've got like a, a, a young guy coming that I'm going to give money to. And he's going to do, he doesn't, he might, I don't know if he knows it, but he's going to do all the hard stuff. I'm going to be standing there with a rake, uh, just moving it around. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's not a cheap uh, solution. I think uh, eight cubic yards delivered and everything is going to cost like 400 bucks. Um, and I got to pay that guy for his time, which is another 100 bucks. But then I basically, it, it, normally every year I bring in a truckload of mulch and I reapply mulch in the walking paths so they don't get weeds. And mm. that mulch cost me about a hundred bucks. And I usually hire someone. Last couple of years, I've hired someone just because I've been so busy and I hate, it's just hard. So <laughs> I get a young guy to come in and help me anyway. So instead of spending, let's say 200 bucks a year, 150 bucks a year, I'm going to spend 500 bucks once and it won't have to be because sand doesn't break down. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I think, think it's a good long-term solution. What do you think? I think it's an that? excellent idea. Uh, anything such as mulch, um, Depending mulch is on, better than grass, for sure. Yeah, but it depends what you what you make the mulch out of. But anything yeah. that holds water in is going to be tick-friendly and certainly rodent-friendly. Yes. So sand is neither tick-friendly nor rodent-friendly. So, And it's snake-friendly. Okay, yeah. That'll work it'll, they the can lay on. They can, it's a dark color, yes. so they can sort of yep. lay there and get warm. And how it'll help yep. them digest all the moles and voles they're eating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean the other thing you can do to protect your house, and that's becoming increasingly important, is you can get things. Well, you can make things called tick tubes, which are basically 
um, a source of cotton wool embedded with permethrin, which the mice go harvest the cotton wool. They put make it in their nests. They have lots of little baby mice because that's what mice do. But then that permethrin kills the ticks on the mice. So that oh. help. Uh, hard to get in Canada. You can order it from the States, um, or some people just bring it in and resell. Mm. Um, then, of course, there's the people who like the small birds, skinny fowl, uh, chickens that eat ticks. Mm-hmm. So, and really, if, if other one of the things I'm doing is I'm put, pull, trying to pull together all the people who've come up with ideas about how we live with ticks and beat them. So they're fine in the forest, except for when we go in the forest. But how do we live with them? How do we keep them around, away from our houses, away from our kids? So, Is this that, that aspect of this, the citizen science and tick yeah, surveillance? Exactly. So if anyone's got ideas, uh, hopefully your podcast and your YouTube channel, uh, if they want to write into you and you can pass it on to me, that would be great. How um, can people contact... Uh, are, are you a yes, public, you can public certainly facing contact figure? Me directly. Um, I'm, I do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, you just Google my name and email me at the university. Right. <laughs> and yes. I'm going to be having a conference on the different ways people have figured out how to control ticks uh, midsummer. Um, so come visit beautiful Sackville, go for a walk in the waterfall park, and then practice doing your tick checks afterwards. <laughs> exactly. And again, I put a, 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 a link to uh, whatever uh, online resources yes, that totally. uh, can direct people to you on. They can, I'll get yep. you to send that to me, and I'll put it in the show okay. notes for the, uh, for the podcast and, uh, and when I release this on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, uh, Dr. Vet Lloyd, it's been great having you on the show, and I, I hope we've uh, – it's been a – boy, we've really – I think we've killed about an hour here. Um, so I try to I usually try to make these 35 minutes, but I, I know like this is a topic that a lot of people wanted me to go deep into and I find the media is fairly light on it. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, it's been great having you on the show and thank you for answering all, all our questions and uh, having the patience to do this with me and, uh, I hope we can have you on again. Okay. Well, thank you very much and, uh, happy gardening and, Good luck with uh, being in, on your own in the forest. <laughs> Try to sleep alone and not with too many ticks in your sleeping bag. Or bears, yes. <laughs> that too, yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very right. much for being on the show. Okay. Bye now. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to help support the show, check out the offers from my sponsors, Vessies, Seeds, and Safer's Gardening Products. Uh, if you're on the podcast website, just check out the uh, show notes for this uh, episode and if you're on youtube check out the description box there's coupon codes if they sell something that you need buy it from them and that'll help support the show otherwise until next time get out there get at it have fun in your garden thank you so much for watching catch you next time